The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. We're back and we're sorry for last week. I know we left you guys on kind of a quick and quick and fast and dirty, just like, oh, hey, we ain't got an episode this week. But we had some stuff come up in house, but I mean, sometimes back. we have to be adulting. Yeah. And like, like we say, this isn't our only job and jobs got in the way, so... Yep, but we're back this week, and this story that I'm going to bring you is out of Macoupin County, Illinois. It's called The Wedding Guest, The Murder of Bridget Drobny. The small town of Wilsonville, located in central Illinois, is populated by only 600 citizens. Before July 13, 1985, Wilsonville and the surrounding areas in Macoupin County were quiet, peaceful, tranquil. Just kind of the place everybody feels safe, right? And not to be cliche, but like leaves their doors unlocked, you know, it was that kind of area. But after 16 year old Bridget Drobny went missing while attending a wedding in the area, the tranquility and sense of safety in Macoupin County was forever disturbed. Three men from Wilsonville would soon be accused and charged with a heinous crime that shook this community to its core. On Saturday, July 13, 1985, Bridget Margaret Drobny and her family traveled from Downers Grove to the small town of Gillespie, Illinois. So if you don't know where Downers Grove is, it's right outside Chicago. And so they came down here where her father's family lived to attend her cousin's wedding. And they were staying with family in Gillespie. During the wedding reception, Bridget left to take her dad back to the house where they were staying. And then she was going to be coming back to the reception. As she drove back to the wedding reception, though, she saw a flashing red light in her rearview mirror. At, you know, she's 16. She's a somewhat new driver. She was probably really nervous as she pulled to the side of the road, assuming a cop's pulling her over, right? And the only problem was, as she, after she pulled over, she was never seen alive again. Bridget Drobny was born in 1968 in Downers Grove, a suburb of Chicago, to George and Kathy Drobny. She was a student at Downers Grove North High School. Bridget was one of four children with a brother and two sisters. When Bridget failed to return to the wedding reception, her family began to look for the Oldsmobile that she was driving. At 1.30 a.m. on July 14th, her mother found the car along the side of the road only a mile from the family's house that they were staying at. The dome light was on, but Bridget, her keys, and her purse were nowhere to be found. Less than a mile. I mean, that's just insane. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, that's really shitty. She had to have been pulled over, like, right after she left to drop from dropping her dad off. Right. It had to have been right away. The Macoupin County community gathered over the next few days to look for Bridget. She was last seen wearing a black dress with white polka dots and spaghetti straps with a pair of white flats. 
Her picture was posted all over the community, and a local dairy even agreed to print her picture on their milk cartons. So for those of you who don't understand that reference, um, because there are people that don't, you know, they used to put the photos of missing children on milk cartons so that people would see them. Bridget was five feet tall and weighed approximately 125 pounds. Alleged sightings of Bridget were reported in towns such as Dundee, Cicero, Chicago, and even Columbia, Missouri, but none of these sightings could be substantiated. McCoupin County Police said they were not ruling out that Bridget may have been kidnapped or she may have just ran away, but her family knew that Bridget was not that kind of kid. She had never disappeared before, and this just wasn't something she would do. You know, and you know your kids. You know if that's a possibility. I mean, I would like to think we do anyway. Yeah, but unfortunately, especially in like today's day and age, we don't know what our kids are, you know. like I think our parents had more hands-on with what we were doing and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But if you think about it nowadays, we're kind of hands-off nowadays. Well, you know? But I know like back then, I think the parents would have had a better understanding of, oh, my kid's definitely the kind that would run away or... It definitely isn't. Definitely isn't, you know. Right. And her cousin even called off her honeymoon so that she could help find Bridget. So can you imagine it's your wedding day and your 16-year-old cousin goes missing? Like, how horrible a feeling of that, you know? Like, she wouldn't have even been there if it wasn't for the wedding. Right. I mean, yeah, because they were out of town. So it's not like they were, like, living there to begin with. Right. I mean, that's just got to be terrible, you know. And then as the story progresses, we'll kind of come back to what I how I feel about that. Um, so this entire community pulls together and it took five days, though, before they found Bridget and finally got some answers. Sandy K. Aldridge was just 18 years old and she lived in Wilsonville. In the early hours of Sunday, July 14, 1985, Sandy heard a shocking story from her older brother, 19-year-old Michael Turner. Michael told her a story that she found troubling, and she might have even found it to be unbelievable. You know, probably had her doubts that he was even telling the truth. Once the news headlines about Bridget Drobny's disappearance became public, however, Sandy came forward with the story Michael had told her, fearing that it was, in fact, a true story. Michael told her about fishing with his older brother Robert and friend Daniel Hines on Saturday, July 13th. After leaving Lake Litchfield, 24-year-old Daniel was driving his vehicle with Robert, age 29, and Michael, who I, like I said was 19, as passengers. Daniel Hines showed Tur- the Turner brothers a red flashing light similar to a police light. He suggested that they use the light to, quote, pick up girls, end quote. So how creepy is that, first of all? Right. Ugh, gross. They drove around the rural roadways of McCoupin County and finally spotted a young girl driving an Oldsmobile around 11 p.m. So how late was this wedding reception going on? Right. Well, I mean, if you think about it, 11 is really not that late. Usually weddings end by midnight at no, the latest. one or two. No. Yes. I don't think so. You go until the bar shuts you down. Daniel put the light on the top of the vehicle and started to follow this Oldsmobile. When the driver, 16-year-old Bridget Drobny, saw the flashing red light in her rearview mirror, she pulled over. 
The three pretended to arrest Bridget and put her in the back of their vehicle. They then drove her to a cornfield several miles away, probably like 10 to 12 miles away, where according to Michael, Daniel and Robert took her into the field. Michael told his sister that he could hear the girl crying and screaming and begging for her father as the two raped her. According to the story that Michael had told his sister, Daniel came out of the cornfield first, and finally Robert came out of the field. The three left the area, and Michael told the story to his sister a few hours later. What kind of sick fuck would listen to that, like, listen to that and hear all that and be like, oh, it's okay? My guess is she probably thought he was lying. I'm t- no, I'm talking about uh, Michael. Oh, yeah. Like, how the hell are you, like, an accomplice to this, quote, an accomplice? And I'm saying it because he's guiltier than shit with this. That's what I mean by quoting the accomplice. But, and just be okay with it. I mean, I'm not saying this is an excuse at all. But he's 19. He's with a 24-year-old and a 29-year-old. He probably didn't feel like he had... I don't give a shit. ...much of a say. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't give a shit. When Sandy came forward, police got their first break in this case. Michael Turner, Robert Turner, and Daniel Hines were brought in for questioning and later arrested after Sandy's information led to the remains of 16-year-old Bridget Drobny in a rural cornfield outside Gillespie. The autopsy determined that Bridget Drobny had died of a stab wound to her neck, and she had also been sexually assaulted. Could you imagine... You're just driving back to a wedding reception and that happens to you. It's fucked up. Yes. The devastation of Bridget's death could be felt throughout the central Illinois communities and Chicago suburb that she called home. On July 22nd, the family of Bridget laid her to rest. She was remembered as a kind person who lived her life with love. Bridget tutored special education students. She was very involved in her church and was a child of God. Back in Macoupin County, the devastation continued. And Chris, I'm going to have you read a quote from a Macoupin County resident. It says, quote, it's a hell of a deal. Somebody comes from Downers Grove to rural Illinois and gets murdered down here. But as I guess, but I guess that goes to show it could happen anywhere. End quote. And that is. That's the reason why we do this podcast. Right. I mean, that's sort of the point. We think that we live in these small communities and we're immune to this shit and we're not. No, we're not at all. Hell, we just had a murder right down the road from us last week. Yeah. I mean, right down the road. It's like a couple towns over. But uh, like, just because we're in BFE doesn't mean that we're free from this kind of crap. No, not at all. And it's weird. Like, I'm going to go off on kind of a little tangent here before we go to the next part. Go ahead. Like, I've been watching Mindhunters again, you know, and you guys know that that's like my shtick. And that's what I love about the this whole true crimes genre is the mental capacity and stuff like that. Psychological people, aspects. Yeah. yeah. How many people come from rural towns like these serial killers come from a rural town, you know, and then they go to like a bigger city and do their crimes. Because they're like, oh, I'm going to go to someplace where this is normal so I can get away with it. You know, it just, it like, yes, this is a tangent that I'm going off on. But it, it, it just, it interests me to know that maybe small town living, maybe we should go live in a big city. It's crazy. 
it's insane how many things happen in southern Illinois in particular, central and southern Illinois, you know, like there's oh God, so yeah. much more than I thought before we started doing this podcast. Like I didn't think we'd be able to have, what is it, season six now? Uh-huh. Six seasons? And wow. I'm not even close to out of stories. Right. It's insane. Daniel Hines was the first of the men to go on trial in 1986. According to the defense, he was present when Bridget was kidnapped, but claimed that he did not sexually assault or kill her. According to the defense, Hines and Michael Turner were shielded by 20 rows of tall corn behind which Robert Turner alone raped and murdered Bridget Drobny. The prosecution, however, utilized statements made by Michael Turner and Sandy to prove that Daniel Hines was an active participant in this crime. According to the prosecution, Daniel and Robert planned to abduct a girl together, brought Bridget to the cornfield. Bridget was forced to perform oral sex on both Robert and Daniel as Michael Turner waited in the car. Daniel said that he was waiting by the road when he heard the girl screaming and gasping. Daniel said he didn't even know that Bridget had been killed until July 16th when Robert described stabbing her in the neck because he was unable to knock her out. So he's saying, yeah, I knew she was being kidnapped, but I didn't have anything to do with the sexual assault or the murder. I didn't even know she was dead. And that's what everybody says. I mean, I don't buy that. Oh, yeah. I was there for one part of it, but I wasn't there for the second well, part. Well, what, th- what did you think happened to her? Right. She didn't come back out? Right. Michael Turner testified at trial that he heard Bridget crying and asking for her father. Could you imagine being her dad and sitting in that courtroom and hearing that? Oh, I wouldn't be sitting in there. I'd be murdering somebody. I'd be going to I'd be going to jail for a triple homicide. Like that just breaks my heart. He said Bridget told Robert Turner, quote, "Hit me on the head with the rock. Put me out of this pain." End quote. So while he's attacking her, she is so miserable she's asking him to kill her because she didn't want to deal with the, what was going on to her anymore. That just makes me so devastatingly sad. Evidence was also permitted showing that in September of 1985, following his arrest, Daniel Hines attempt to escape county jail while wait, awaiting trial by sawing through three bars of his cell with a hacksaw that another inmate smuggled in for him. I don't really know what that has anything to do with the murder. Other than to show Nothing. his character, I guess. Well, but this also is another reason that I'm sure there's going to be somebody screaming mistrial or there's going to be some kind of appeal made because, oh, well, that shouldn't have been brought in because it has nothing to deal with. It really doesn't. It uh, doesn't. It, I mean, it, it really shows, doesn't. It shows that he is has some deviant behavior, maybe, that, you know, he that squirt, skirting the law is his, what he wants to do, but there's no reason for it to be admitted in this court case at all, I don't think. Right. So Daniel Hines was found guilty of first-degree murder, aggravated kidnapping, criminal sexual assault, aggravated criminal sexual assault, robbery, unlawful restraint, and confinement. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So you happy with that sentence? Of course I am. And there's a picture on our blog of what Daniel Hines looks like today. He's much older than 24 now. Yeah, it looks like it. In June of 1986, Robert Turner went on trial. The state planned to seek the death penalty against the 29-year-old who both Hines and Michael Turner claimed had actually killed 
Bridget Drobny. So they didn't seek the death penalty against Hines because they felt like Turner, Robert Turner, was definitely the one who actually murdered her. Although they were all participants. So I don't know if that really applies, but okay. The defense claimed that Robert was still at Lake Litchfield when Michael and Daniel alone kidnapped, assaulted, and killed Bridget. Don't buy that shit for a second. Not at all. You know, way to like point the finger at your friend and your brother. The prosecution said, quote, Robert Turner, the man sitting here, was the last one to come out of the cornfield and came out with a knife in his hand. Clearly the one that killed Bridget Drobny in the cornfield, end quote. And that is what both Michael Turner and Daniel Hines testified to. So, I mean, that leaves very little doubt that Robert was the murderer. Although, in my opinion, they're all guilty. They kidnapped her. You know, I mean, what did you think was going to happen? Daniel Hines pulled the girl over with the light. He said that Hines and well, this was Michael's. Sorry, I got a little ahead of myself. This was Michael's um, testimony during this uh, case where he testified against his brother. Once again, he said, you know, Daniel Hines had pulled the girl over with the light. He said that Hines and Robert Turner both kidnapped the girl and drove her a few miles to the cornfield. According to Michael, Hines came out of the field first with some of Bridget's clothing. He ordered Michael to get rid of the red light. He said after Hines and Michael yelled for Robert several times, he emerged from the field. Robert later told Michael and Daniel that he had trouble holding Bridget down, so he stabbed her in the neck. Michael said that Robert said something to the effect of, quote, don't worry, she's not going anywhere, end quote, when he came out of the field. So you really want to tell me you didn't know he was that she was dead? Right. He later told his accomplices that he wasn't worried about getting in trouble because he thought a combine or tractor would likely destroy the body before anyone found it. God, that's a fucked up thing to say. Right? Like, what God, the hell? Fuck. Given the totality of the evidence and the testimony against Robert Turner... He was found guilty on all counts, and he was sentenced to death. Michael Turner claimed from the beginning to be a victim, brought along into a situation in which he was not a willing participant. In November of 1986, the Drobny family was appalled when the prosecutors made a plea bargain with Michael Turner. Michael came from an uneducated background and had been key in the successful prosecution of his brother, Robert Turner, and Daniel Hines. He had testified without any promise of leniency or a deal in place by the prosecution. The Drobny family was devastated by the news of the plea deal, stating it was a miscarriage of justice. Turner was allowed to plead only to a count of concealment of a homicidal death and was given a five-year sentence. Thoughts on that? Oh, God. He was part of a kidnapping. Even if you want to take the right. murder charge off, like, he was part of a kidnapping. Of the ki- and that's what, what I'm having issues with. Like, yeah, you might not have been part of the, the homicide, but you were definitely part of the fucking kidnapping. Right. And I know that's like a, what, 20 to 25 year sentence for kidnapping? Minimum. A lot of times they get like 50. Like, you... like I think I can see, like, this is me being me again. 
I can see where the prosecution wanted to offer him a deal because it was his testimony that made sure that two people got life in prison or, you know, right. one got life in prison and one got the death sentence, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't think it should have been that big, that good of a deal. Yeah, I think five years is not enough. No. You know, and I don't believe that Michael Turner was a victim. Did he maybe get in over his head? Yes. Was he an active participant? Apparently not. Neither one of the co-conspirators pointed to him as an active participant. But I still think five years is pretty freaking lenient for what happened. And the fact that he didn't even come forward with it. You know what I mean? It had been different if he had come, been the one that came forward to the cops and led them to her body. Right. Like, and that's, I, this is why I think he got too light of a sentence. Yeah, I agree. Like, if it would have been like that night he went to the, the police department and been like, hey... There was a joke that got played that went too far, and this is it. Right. You know? But that's not what happened. I mean, I think you he probably fu- felt guilty about it. That's probably why he told his sister. But yeah, and then you tell this fucked up story to your sister, and she's the one that finally is like, oh, hey, guys, that's not the way things are supposed to go. Like, yeah. I don't know. There's I just, so much fucking fucked up with this story. Five years is just not enough, in my opinion. Robert Turner's death sentence was overturned in 1989 on appeal, only to be reimposed in 1990. However, in 2003, Illinois Governor George Ryan commuted all death sentences in Illinois to life in prison, including that of Robert Turner. Turner was resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In late 2022, the Illinois Prison Project supported a petition by Robert Turner for clemency. I could not find what they were using as grounds to support. But why the hell would you support this man's clemency? Why? Maybe not enough evidence that showed. You oh, know what I'm bullshit. Saying? I'm, I'm devil's advocate. I think, I think every all three of them knew. Like, they're pointing the finger at each other. So, obviously, they know what happened. Like, right. I just, I don't understand... Of all the cases you want to take a clemency project on, you want to take this one, really? Right. They raped and murdered a 16-year-old girl in a cornfield for no reason. Nope, I agree. The Drobny family was once again devastated, and they feared that Bridget's killer could walk free. With opposition from the Drobny family, clemency was denied in February of 2023 for Robert Turner. Robert Turner and Daniel Hines both remain imprisoned in the Illinois Department of Corrections with no possibility of parole. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Like, so that he was, on, in 1989, he was sentenced to death. In 86, and then it was overturned in 89. 89, And then reimposed in 90. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he was given the life, like, life imprisonment in 2003. Mm Mm-hmm. So this dude was in jail for, what is that, 16, 17 years? Yep. This is what I have an issue with, with death, like, death sentences. I understand that there's an appeals process. I understand you get multiple appeals. I don't deny that you shouldn't. I think that it should take less than 15 years. Right. For the process to be done. Well, by 2003, you know, this crime happened in 85. So that was 18 years that he was in prison. Right. And, and they, they didn't carry out his sentence. Right. I mean, I understand. Like, I get it that we're with all the evidence and stuff like that, that we need to make sure that we're killing the right, you know, like we're executing the right people. 
but it shouldn't take this damn long. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Especially now since there's DNA evidence. Right. And shit like that. Like, I just... I. Well, and I guess that's why Illinois doesn't even have the death right. penalty anymore. I guess, I guess. I don't know. I don't... I have mixed feelings about the death penalty. I go back and forth with it. But I do agree that, you know, these people that are on death row, they sit on death row forever. And usually, a lot of their appeals aren't even brought by them. No. They're brought by these, like... Political what, groups fuck. and social groups. Fuck, what was that one uh, case we were talking about a couple, like maybe a couple months ago? Was it Charlie Walker, I think? That he he was ready to die. He's like, I want to get this over with. And people kept on appealing on his behalf. Yeah. And it's like, he didn't are want you it. fucking He wanted to be me? executed. <sighs> it's insane. But that is the story of the wedding guest, the murder of Bridget Drobny. If you guys want information on this story, head over to our website at themidwestcrimefiles.com. You can click on the link. Click on the link. Click <laughs> on the link. Shut up. <laughs> click on the link, and you guys can uh, read the story on that. God. He knows what he's trying to say. Read the story, and you guys can scroll all the way down and see all the references and all the stuff that Gina uses to write these amazing stories. If you guys feel so inclined and want to help us out to keep this podcast going... Head on over to Patreon. It's Patreon slash The Midwest Crime Files. You can join for a dollar all the way up to $10. And then you will have access to our vault of exclusive content. Yep. Which There's Patreon, quite a bit in there. Yeah. And Patreon members, we haven't forgot about you. We're going to be getting you guys some exclusive content. I kind of want like I want to make a poll, I think, to find yeah. out what these people want. We got to give the people what they want, man. Oh, Lord. Yeah, um, well, there's some new new things coming, and there's some stories that I'm working on that are a little bit more time-consuming, so there'll, there'll be some good stuff coming for both Patreons and, got, and our normal listenership. And we still have the stuff that we can't talk about yet because we're under an NDA, so... I know, I know. It's coming, It's though. coming. Big news coming your way in yep. a few months. Yep, so it. I think on that note, I think we're done for this week. We'll talk to you guys later. All right, bye! Bye!